Hey everyone, it's a leap day bonus edition of Kicking Out at Two. I'm your host, Dave Rosenbluth. Thank you for hitting that download button and joining us here. We're bringing you a bonus show this week here on Kicking Out at Two just for the simple fact that it's a leap day. 2020 gives us a bonus day in the month of February on the 29th. Leap days come once every four years. And I thought, why not give you guys a little extra retro pro wrestling podcast that only I could bring to you here on Kicking Out at Two. And by hitting that download button and reading the title and reading all the information you know that this is a bonus edition of our blind date diaries concept covering wcw super brawl 2 now i know i told you guys last week when you were listening to the uh the the Wrestle War 1990 Blind Date Diaries that I wanted to cover Super Brawl, maybe do a watch along of it. But unfortunately, my schedule hasn't permitted me to do that. My wife's been a little bit under the weather, so I haven't had people over coming and recording. Uh, I've been doing a lot of these shows solo on my own. And, uh, you know, so I thought, why not cover this in Blind Date Diary fashion? Because I've never watched this show from beginning to end. The only match I've seen uh, was Sting and Lex Luger in the main event on an old uh, best of sting uh, wcw vhs tape from years and years ago so i've never got to watch this show and when i saw the card and i looked at it i was like wow this is a pretty strong card so i thought why not do this in watch along form but like i said scheduling and my wife being sick don't want anybody coming over because as you all know you know i'm married i record this in my 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 basement my got my studio set up and just didn't want to subject anyone to being sick and my wife probably didn't want a whole lot of company either which i don't blame her but um I got to sit down recently and watch this while my wife was, uh, you know, on the mend. And, uh, you know, I can't wait to recap it for you guys and give you guys a, a my diary, if you will, of this first date that I had with WCW Super Brawl 2 from beginning to end. But before we do that. I got to plug the social media. I got to plug the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network. I got to let you all know where you can find us. Let's go. Let's let's try something a little different here. Let's go with the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network, where you can find this show over on Podbean by searching Retromania with a W. You can find all the backlog archives of Kicking Out at Two over there. Uh, if you if Podbean's not your jam, if you like to you know listen to podcasts on Google Play or SoundCloud or Stitcher, Spreaker, Apple Podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. I'm getting ahead of myself here um search Retromania with a w you'll find all the great shows from the Retromania network as well as this one you'll find marking out the day's weekend warriors you'll find hulkamania is dead origins of attitude um kicking out at two uh gaijin wrestling radio all kinds of great shows kobe's got a whole you know backlog archive full of stuff evergreen podcast you guys can all check out so hit that up retromania with a w you can search on social media for retromania on facebook as well as twitter the handle is at retromania pod retromania with a w and uh, now we're moving back here to Kicking Out at Two, where you can find us on both Twitter and Facebook. Our Twitter handles at Kicking Out Two, K I C K N O U T, and the number two. And our Facebook, where we get the most action, where the most traffic is, where we have the most fun. Not that Twitter's boring, but you know, for some reason, that blue check mark it hasn't come yet. So I'm still pushing, still trying, still striving to to, to be a presence on Twitter. But so far, Facebook's been uh, doing me good and doing me a solid. I'm having some great feedback over there with all the pictures and the links to the archive shows and the polls and things like that. So. Um, 
You can head out over our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash kicking out at two. Um, links to archive shows. You can find actually our entire list of archives from our SoundCloud page over at soundcloud.com where we originated. Um, it's up on the Facebook page. Um, all kinds of great stuff over there. Like I said, following's growing. I appreciate all the love and support. Um, I'm not a Conrad Thompson podcast, even though a lot of his shows inspire me to, to, to do things like this. Um, I'm not a big major, you know, pro wrestler, obviously, that has a podcast, that has a following, that has a name. I'm just a regular dude wrestling fan in my basement with a microphone, hit the record button and just give you my thoughts on the history of pro wrestling in many different forms and fashion. And I greatly appreciate everyone that comes along with me for the ride. Try to make it fun, whether it's five of you, whether it's 500, 5,000 or 5 million of you, which I don't think we've even gotten that far um, when it comes to listeners. Actually, I know we haven't gotten that far. I appreciate it. So uh, thank you all for being on board. You can hit us up on our, all our social media platforms i'm hoping to uh within the next you know several months uh maybe maybe put up an instagram profile um because i'm posting a lot of the shows on my personal instagram page if you're on instagram you can find me at rosen coaster um it's a private profile, but um, you can find me there and uh, give me a follow and I'll follow you back. And uh, you can find links to the archive shows up there as well. I post a lot of kicking out of two stuff there, but I'm thinking about taking all that content and putting it on its own Instagram page shortly, as well as YouTube. Um, that's a big thing. And uh, once I get all my ducks in a row and my personal life in order, um, then YouTube will be uh, a part of the rotation where you can find kicking out at two. So uh, got some got some cool stuff playing for you. Um, you know, haven't forgotten about the goal in mind. Obviously, I want to do big things with this podcast, but I also got to be realistic. Crawl before you walk and walk before you run. So um, I'm not going to sell for complacency, but at the same time, I'm not going to shoot for the stars right away. You know, I'm going to be I'm going to be kind of like a journeyman's wrestler in a way. I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to start out, you know, uh, at the bottom of the card. You know, maybe I'm going to set up the ring and then eventually we're going from setting up the ring to handing out the programs to maybe being a referee to maybe being a wrestler, a preliminary wrestler, an enhancement talent, a jobber. If you want to call it. I know that's derogatory, but it's a term. And yes, I could be a jobber. I could be a damn good looking jobber. I could be a fine jobber at 37 years old, as a matter of fact. But um, like I said, just to give you, <laughs> I know I kind of went off on a little bit of a tangent there, but just to give you guys an idea of what my thought process is with this podcast. Um, the goal is at the end of the day to be the best I could possibly be. And, you know, hopefully I can do it with all of you. So thank you so much for, uh, for, for supporting the show and continuing to support the show. And, um, yeah, let's, let, let's get on with the subject. If you will, WCW super brawl to February the 29th, 1992 from the Mecca arena in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. There was roughly about 5,000 people in attendance. Uh, did a 0.8 pay-per-view buy rate reaching roughly 160,000 homes, equaling out to $2.4 million in gross pay-per-view revenue. This was probably one of the more successful pay-per-views of WCW during that time period. Uh, this was the Bill Watts era. This was the very beginning stages of the Bill Watts era of WCW. Um, Bill Watts had, um, he pissed a lot of people off during this time period, both management and uh, as well as the talents, cutting contracts in half, getting rid of catering, uh, pissing off a lot of the corporate executives in Turner, um, you know, pissing off the talent. Uh, he, he just, his, his tenure, as much good as he did for that company um, by trying to add some, uh, some credibility to the programming and to the product and bringing a more athletic presentation, he also heard it as well with his style of management. Um, 
So uh, this is the early stages of the Bill Watts era. Um, we opened this show with Eric Bischoff and Tony Schiavone introducing us, and they preview some of the matches that are on the card. And then they sent it to Jim Ross, who's in the in the ring, and he's ready to introduce his newest broadcast partner to the team, Jesse the Body Ventura, riding a motorcycle down the ramp. Um, I thought this was kind of cool. Uh, a good way to introduce Jesse. Ventura was um, uh, hot off a, um, you know, he had a, a, a a lengthy run with the WWF and he left the WWF due to some creative differences with Vince McMahon regarding his pay. Um, I think a lot of that had to do with the whole union talk um, and the, the story surrounding him and Hulk Hogan and the whole trying to unionize wrestling. Um, but uh, Ventura was in a lengthy legal battle with the WWF for the better part of a year or so, and he won a settlement uh, to the tune of over $800,000 where WWF would have to pay him for every time they used his likeness on television uh, and in, like, the VHS, the home videos. Um, so that's that was a big reason why he wasn't on television and with another wrestling organization for a long period of time because he was in this lengthy legal battle. He left, I believe, in the... the the middle of the summer of 1990 and he didn't appear on television till this date in February of 1992. Um, so yeah, I thought this was a pretty cool way to introduce him kind of brought some of that, um, WWF flavor that he was known for to the WCW broadcast and over the top personality. And, uh, I thought this was a good way to open the show. Got brought some importance to it. Um, and we start this show with a fantastic match. Flying Brian Pillman versus Jushin Thunder Liger for the WCW Light Heavyweight Championship. Um, overall, I thought this was an exciting match. Um, we got lots of high flying from both guys. Uh, the crowd was really into it from start to finish. Um, there were some points during the match where it slowed down a bit, uh, but both guys, from both men, uh, it, it, it seemed very back and forth. It was two baby faces wrestling each other. There wasn't a heel. Um, and uh, like I said, they slowed down a little bit, but it didn't drag either. Um, because as much as it slowed down, then they picked it up again. You know, if Pillman had Liger in a rest hold, um, Liger would counter it, and then they would go back into a series of, you know, high flying moves. You know, you hit me with this, I hit you with that. It was just very back and forth. Um, neither man had the advantage in the match for very long. It was a very even matchup. Um, and, the, and during this time period, too, uh, the crowd was really engaged in it because. You know, it was two baby faces. There wasn't a heel involved. You didn't have the heel to antagonize the crowd to get behind the baby face more. This seemed very split and very even with the audience. Um, the audience just appreciated a very good back and forth wrestling match, um, and it told a good story. And in 1992, during that time period, it's very hard for an audience to get behind two baby faces like that. It's got to be the right combination. I've always said this in the past. You can't just put two baby faces out there and and and, and figure out you know who the audience is going to like more. Um, it's got to be two baby faces that the that the audience strongly connects with as well as um, their athletic presentation has to play a part in it and I think the athletic presentation from Liger and Pillman uh, was a was a very big deal um, to this match and it made for a, a, a really good opening contest um, like I said hard to do that in 1992 crowd getting engaged in a match without there being a heel to to really antagonize the audience and get the audience uh, to uh, get behind uh, the baby face um, the finish comes uh, when when Pillman avoids uh, Liger's diving headbutt then positions um, uh, himself into a cradle pin for the win at 17 minutes exactly like i said this was a great match if i were you um i'd go out of my way to watch this match this was a fun match um 
I remember uh, hearing about this match and never watching it up until recently. And uh, my expectations going in that it was going to be great. And coming out of that match, the expectations stayed the same. They, they delivered. So uh, go check it out. Brian Pillman, Jushin Liger, uh, WCW light heavyweight title match from February uh, 29th, 1992 at Super Brawl 2. Um, and a little side note, uh, speaking of Pillman, I, I got the... the the, the privilege to meet Brian Pillman Jr. recently at a Northeast Wrestling event um, in Waterbury, Connecticut uh, back in uh, January. You can see some of the pictures on the Facebook page I posted them. I got to meet him. Really down-to-earth, great guy. Um, got a good head on his shoulders. He he just he treated you like you were an equal. You know, he didn't treat you like some wrestlers look at the fans as marks, and, you know, they kind of have this, like, air about them. And, you know, I've, I've met a lot of nice wrestlers over the years, but he, Pillman Jr., has got to be in my top five of nicest of all time guys who are just genuinely nice you can feel something good about him um i took a picture with him i bought a t-shirt uh, he gave me a free autograph for buying the t-shirt um the t-shirt i bought was a a a takeoff from a shirt that was designed for his late father brian pillman senior um and so i thought it was kind of cool um you know that that I, I got to purchase the shirt. It's something that, like, you know, resembled something that his father wore um, back in the day. And we talked about, like, you know, um, some of the matches that his dad had with, like, Brian, or, uh, Brad Armstrong and Ricky Steamboat. And um, he was he was positioned at the table next to Road Warrior Animal. So um, he was he saw him, I had a Legion of Doom shirt on, and he saw the shirt, and he was like, "Yeah, you know, my dad used to be real good friends with Joe. Uh, he was Uncle Joe. We named our our." our our bulldog animal when we had a dog when we were kids so um it was it was pretty cool he took the time to like talk with me a lot of those guys just like to like you know push people through so they can get the crowd um you know the, the, the line moving but he really took the time with me and he was he was super cool so um you know for any of you out there that um happen to run into uh you know brian pillman jr um at an indie event or at a wrestling convention i you know take take the opportunity to meet him he's just a really down-to-earth guy and like i said uh made you feel like you were an equal you weren't a fan you were just some just another person that he was talking to he even said like um he want he he didn't he he didn't his mother steered him away from wrestling when he was younger especially after his father had died um and so he didn't get a whole lot of exposure to wrestling so he's trying with the advent of social media and being able to find footage of his father he's trying to relate to fans um that grew up watching his father and just relate to wrestling fans in general um so i thought that was kind of cool that he that, that that he had mentioned that but like i said Take the opportunity. If you ever get a chance, meet Brian Pillman Jr. You won't be uh, you won't be disappointed. Really cool, really cool dude. Um, moving on, we go back to uh, Tony Schiavone and Eric Bischoff up at the podium, and they comment on the on the last match that took place. Um, I'm really digging this like host role that the two of them have, as they you know it's kind of like um, it's kind of like the, uh, the 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 pregame or postgame that like WWE sometimes used to do with the pay per views where they have like the analysts at a table um, off to the side reviewing the matches or previewing the matches it just kind of added a little bit more of an important feel to it uh, reminds me of like a big championship game on, you know, on television whether it's football or basketball sometimes the analysts are um, you know have their desk positioned in the arena or on the football field uh, kind of like what they do with the Super Bowl um, so I thought it was kind of cool um, and, and like I said added some more importance made the event look and feel more important um, 
We go back to the locker room, and Missy Hyatt is uh, conducting a backstage interview with the tailor-made man, Terry Taylor. Um, really looking like a million-dollar man knockoff with the, the black and gold suit. Um, he says he's upset that Marcus Bagwell turned down his request to be his protege, his apprentice, if you will. Um, and uh, I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, you know, they, they, had, they had referenced Taylor being one half of the United States Tag Team Champions with Greg the Hammer Valentine, which I didn't really understand that pairing. I was never really a big Greg Valentine fan. No disrespect to him as a performer, but just didn't do it for me. Um, so it would have been interesting if uh, Taylor kind of like took Bagwell under his wing a little bit um, in 1992. But Bagwell was just brand new on you know on the scene, and uh, he um, you know was they were positioning him to be like a young upstart babyface. So, uh, but I would have been more interested honestly in seeing Taylor and Bagwell as a tag team. They just kind they're both good looking guys, and it just seemed a little to me a little bit more believable that they could team up together. Um, and, fa and face one another um, in the ring uh, for this next match is Barry Abrams he won the guest ring announcer contest and he's from Syracuse University and the crowd is booing him like crazy <laughs> um, as he's introducing uh, the, the next match the camera pans back to show that he's wearing a tuxedo jacket coat uh, you know coat and tails with the tie and the cummerbund um, and basketball gym shorts <laughs> which I was like I, I, I for some reason I didn't know if this was something that he did or if WCW put him up to it but I thought it was funny um, our next match Marcus Alexander Bagwell going one-on-one -on -one with the tailor-made man Terry Taylor um, crowd didn't really seem too interested they were mildly interested in the match to start um, at times when the action spilled out to the floor they seemed more invested into it um, I mean it was a decent match back and forth um, you know, nothing really special. Taylor was taking his time working on Bagwell, uh, kind of toying with him, playing with him. Anytime he'd do a move, you know, he'd kind of like boast, show off to the crowd. Um, from time to time, Bagwell would make a comeback uh, and would exhibit a mixture of styles on offense. Um, but neither man really got the attention of the audience. Um, and you saw Bagwell's inexperienced show in this match, especially when the, when the finish came along. Um, both guys mistimed one another on the reverse roll-up spot. Um, and Bagwell would eventually reverse him with a roll-up for the win at 7 minutes and 38 seconds. And after the match, um, either Bagwell must not have heard the bell ring in the three count or, you know, or he thought that the match was over or wasn't over because he ran the ropes as if uh, Taylor kicked out and then ate a five arm from Terry Taylor, not a forearm, but a five arm. Um, Taylor dropped him with a, a DDT post match and, le and, and left. Um, like I said, this match was nothing to write home about. The chemistry didn't seem to be there between t both guys and the fans didn't really care for the finish. Um, cut back to Missy Hyatt who is waiting outside Lex Luger's locker room looking to get comments from the champ when all of a sudden his manager Harley Race comes over and puts over Luger uh, you know says he's going to defeat Sting and because he's the WCW heavyweight champion of the world Lex Luger I just had to get a Harley Race impression there because I I think I do a pretty good damn good Harley Race impression plus I like doing them the greatest world heavyweight champion on God's green earth. Vader, the greatest mastodon in all of WCW. I know I'm going off on a tangent here. That's my Harley race for you this week. Um, 
yeah, race was just putting over Luger and the importance of, you know, him defeating Sting and et cetera, et cetera. Um, this was interesting because um, this was la Luger's last WCW appearance before he would jump ship to the WWF. And, um, yeah, uh, this was, um, you know, kind of like the swan song for him uh, in, in WCW. So um, I'll talk a little bit more about that later. But um, Cactus Jack is next, taking on Ron Simmons. Um, this match got pretty physical early on between both guys. Um, Jack did the, uh, the, the the diving head rope spot, which got a big pop where he gets entangled into the... Um, the, the, the top rope and the second rope and he's hanging and the referee's got to let him loose. Um, they show J JYD junkyard dog sitting in the crowd with a white tuxedo. Announcers are curious as to why he's there. Um, the action would then spill onto the outside as uh, cactus would slam Ron Simmons into the barricade. And then he would deliver a flying elbow off the top rope to the floor. Signature cactus Jack stuff, as we all know. Um, Jack would eventually take over until they make it back onto the ramp where Ron Simmons delivered a brutal spine buster. You could feel the thump when you're watching it. Um, that got a pretty big pop. Um, Jack would then recover and continue attack, continue to attack Ron Simmons until he attempted a dive off the second rope. But Simmons countered that into a power slam for the win at six minutes and 34 seconds. Post-match saw Abdullah the Butcher return to WCW, attacking Ron Simmons with his kendo stick. Uh, Cactus Jack would help, but then Junkyard Dog would make his way through the crowd, headbutting a few security guards, shoving Doug Dillinger, and making the save for Ron Simmons. Crowd would chant, JYD, JYD. Um, you know, the, the the recaps I've read about this show um, didn't really care for this match. I thought this was a solid match, and um, I w actually wouldn't have mind seeing it go a couple more minutes longer. I felt like the it was really starting to pick up as the finish was taking place. Um, so... Yeah, that's what I think about Cactus Jack and Ron Simmons. They would eventually continue this rivalry off and on throughout the course of 1992 with Cactus kind of leading the charge against Ron Simmons. When Ron Simmons would win the World Heavyweight Championship, Cactus would throw Barbarian at him or he'd throw Tony Atlas at him. Um, you know, a list of, you know, a few names uh, that, that was under Cactus's tutelage. Uh, and we covered a lot of that, Kobe and I, on Marking Out the Day's Weekend Warriors on the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network. You can find the links to those shows over there um, by searching Retromania with a W. Covered a lot of WCW Saturday night from um, April of 1992 till December. So you can check that out over there as we, as we discuss um, Cactus Jack and Ron Simmons' rivalry. We go to our next match, and it's Vinny Vegas and Richard Morton taking on the Z-Man and Van Hammer. Now, originally, this match was scheduled to be Johnny B. Bad and Z-Man taking on Vinny Vegas and Mr. Hughes, Curtis Hughes. But Curtis Hughes uh, was out with an injury, and Johnny B. Bad was in the middle of a contract dispute with WCW, according to the, uh, the research I've done. Um, Start of this match saw um, Jesse Ventura ripping on Vinny Vegas's look on commentary. Uh, usually, you know, Ventura is always supportive of the heels, but for whatever reason, he just did not like the look of uh, Vinny Vegas. And then uh, during the babyface entrance, Tom Zink would yell into the camera that Jesse Ventura can't afford the Harley Davidson he wrote in on earlier. Um, I thought that was interesting. Uh, Ventura didn't manage to comment about that, which... Um, 
I don't know if you didn't hear it or maybe you found out later, but um, yeah, I, I was I was a little uh, surprised by that. Um, I didn't expect this match to be very good, um, but I was I was kind of surprised. The crowd was into it more than I expected. Um, each of the guys played into their strengths. They weren't trying to do too much. Um, Morton, Ricky Morton, he was, you know, a heel at the time. Um, he seemed to control the pace and slow things down. Uh, the one with the most experience in the match. Uh, Tom Zink was the high flyer, the, the, the clean cut white meat baby face. Um, worked really hard in this match. Um, yeah, I didn't, honestly, I didn't think this was a terrible match. The crowd, like I said, the crowd seemed into it. Um, it wasn't the best booking. It was something that was thrown together, but for something that was thrown together, it really wasn't that bad. Um, the finish comes when uh, Z-Man uh, gives Ricky Richard Morton a sunset flip for the win at 12 minutes and uh, one second. Uh, like I said, better than expected. All four worked really hard. They kept the, they kept the crowd engaged despite these pairings being thrown together at the last minute with zero build. Um, the, uh, the next segment here, we go back to Tony Schiavone and Eric Bischoff as they preview the Dustin Rhodes and Barry Windham versus Dangerous Alliance tag team match. The Dangerous Alliance would consist of stunning Steve Austin and Larry Zabisco. Um, we get footage of the attack on Barry Windham from Arn and Larry Zabisco at the 1991 Halloween Havoc event where Barry Windham's shown entering the arena. Dangerous Alliance attacks him and Dustin in uh, Barry Windham's uh, red convertible, and they take the, uh, the the door of the convertible and slam Barry's hand, and that's how Larry Z Zabisco became Larry the Cruncher Zabisco because he heard Windham's hand crunch as he was slamming the door onto it. Um, I thought that was a nice little setup there to get us going for this match as we uh, head into the match. It's going to be, um, like I said, Austin and Zabisco with Medusa in their corner taking on Dustin Rhodes and Barry Windham. Um, both teams uh, come out pretty hot as they brawl uh, to start things off. Um, they go out on the floor. They go out on the ramp. They go all over the place. Crowd's, uh, crowd's really into it. Um, you get a lot of Barry Windham focusing on Larry Zabisco from the get-go. Um, and the commentators, uh, especially Jim Ross, uh, really emphasize the personal rivalry between these two teams stemming from that attack. Um, some irony in the storytelling is the babyfaces then begin to work on Larry's hand as a means of revenge. See a lot of quick tags in and out by them, isolating him in their corner. Um, eventually, the Dangerous Alliance would take control, isolating Wyndham, some quick tags of their own, a sleeper hold, suplexes, strikes, kicks. Um, Dustin would eventually get the hot tag and clean house with a few near fall attempts until Austin would nail him with a clothesline, putting the dangerous Alliance back in the driver's seat. Um, crowd was just really into this. Um, I enjoyed this match a lot. Um, Zabisco was getting some good heat throughout the match, whether he was in the ring or on the apron, he was really engaged with the audience. Um, he seemed to be the real focal point um, of this match in terms of, uh, you know, the story behind it with him being the one that broke Wyndham's hand uh, to get us to this point. Um, Dustin would eventually tag in, um, tag in Wyndham as he would clean house uh, with several right hands and a few lariats. Um, eventually, ref couldn't keep it under control. All four guys would go at it on the inside and on the outside of the ring. Um, the finish would come eventually, uh, excuse me, the finish would come when Larry would attempt a top rope maneuver, but Dustin would knock him off, which then sets up Wyndham to climb up top and deliver a top rope lariat for the win at 18 minutes and 23 seconds. Um, yeah, like I said, this was fun to watch. Um, 
being that it was a personal rivalry, it certainly helped. There was a lot of intensity there. The fans were really engaged, seemed to enjoy every minute of it. Um, good story was told, and it was really easy to keep up with. So I definitely enjoyed this match. This is probably another match you guys should check out as well. If you're not going to watch um, every match, um, this is definitely another match you should watch. Um, we go back to uh, Shivani and Bischoff, who uh, Bischoff sporting a University of Michigan varsity letter jacket while they preview the tag team title match between the Steiner brothers, the champions, or excuse me, the challengers, taking on the Dangerous Alliance, represented by Arn Anderson and beautiful Bobby Eaton. Um, we, uh, we we cut to the back where Missy Hyatt is outside Ricky the Dragon Steamboat's dressing room, attempting to interview him, but a mysterious ninja approaches her and leads her to the dressing room door, where we see Steamboat sitting with lit candles as a fireball pops up, scaring Missy and gets her out of the way. Um, then Medusa walks into the shot, trying to seduce the ninja to see Steamboat, but the ninja wants none of that. She slaps the ninja, who chases her off to end the scene. Um, this was pretty silly. Uh, this, 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 I wouldn't say this made Ricky Steamboat look like a fool, but it was damn near close. I thought this was pretty silly. Um, we get to the tag team title match, Steiner's Dangerous Alliance for the WCW World Tag Team Championship. Uh, Gary Michael Capetta, the ring announcer, states before the match that WCW Executive Vice President Kip Fry had just declared that Paulie Dangerously was banned from ringside for this match. Crowd seemed uh, pretty pleased to hear this news um, as they show the referees dragging Dangerously to the back. Um, Medusa would make her way back out to represent the Dangerous Alliance, um, and the match would get underway. Um, overall, this was a fantastic match. Great match between these two teams. I think this is an underrated tag team rivalry during a time period in WCW that doesn't get uh, talked about enough. I think 1992 is like an underrated year for WCW in terms of in-ring quality and the talent that they had on their roster. These two tag teams... Um, were so good at what they did. The Steiners with their amateur wrestling background combined with all their power moves. Both Arn Anderson and Bobby Eaton from the Dangerous Alliance, they were both great tag team wrestlers in their own right in separate teams, but they gelled so well together. It was just, it was like they had, it was like they had tag team for, you know, they had teamed together forever. Excuse me, I'm stumbling over my words here. Um, their methodical style of tag team wrestling. It was a very similar to um, the old Minnesota Wrecking Crew with Arn and Ole, which I talked about on last week's uh, Kicking Out at Two in our Blind Date Diary of Wrestle War 1990. Um, this match, it didn't drag, um, I, but it didn't feel rushed either. Um, Crowd seemed to be in it the whole way. Uh, the Steiners dominated very early on with their with their style of moves. Um, until Bobby Eaton delivered an undetected low blow to Rick Steiner, which begins their advantages of the babyface. Lots of quick tags, isolating them, the maneuvers to keep them into control. Um, Bobby Eaton would deliver a rocket launcher from the top rope to Scott Steiner on the ramp. Uh, and then eventually Rick would get the tag and take on both opponents. Steiner lines, right hands until Arn Anderson hoists Rick into the electric chair position. Eaton goes for a crossbody and Rick counters with a belly to belly in midair. Not perfectly executed, but I could appreciate the effort for the two count. Um, he would deliver a similar move um, at WrestleMania 9 when they teamed up to face the head shrinkers. Which got which, which got a really strong reaction from the crowd in Vegas. Um, so yeah, this was kind of cool to see. Several near fall attempts by Rick. Um, 
Referee has trouble keeping things under control as Medusa gives Arn Powder, who throws it in Rick's eyes. He's blinded and then accidentally suplexes the referee due to the powder. Um, another ref shows up to count the pin on Bobby Eaton after a Frankensteiner by Scott, and we think that the Steiners won the titles, but the referees discuss the, the, the finish and determine the Steiners are disqualified, which gives the champs the victory at 20 minutes and 6 seconds. Your winners, Arn Anderson and beautiful Bobby Eaton, the Dangerous Alliance, via a disqualification. Crowd is not happy about this finish whatsoever. Um, me personally, I didn't mind it as long as it led to something with these two teams again. And they would eventually hook up a number of times um, at live events um, and, and on television uh, over the course of the, the, the remainder of 1992. Uh, I, I believe, I, I think the Steiners would eventually win the titles from Anderson and Eaton inside of a cage um, at a live event in the Omni. Um, later that year i believe in the springtime so uh, yeah um like i said crowd wasn't into it you know the finish mind you but i i as long as i said as long as it leads to something else and this wasn't you know done to to blow it off then i had no problem with it whatsoever um we get Jim Ross and Jesse Ventura recapping the finish of that tag team match as we see a replay of what happened. Uh, crowd still booing uh, as, we, as we take a look at the replay. Um, JR also points out that Bobby Eaton and Scott Steiner were not the legal men when the count was made, so that's something that they um, that, that, that they managed to screw up. With. I mean, it's WCW, so they had, uh, you know... the. the they they were known to to make mistakes like this and not really uh, pointed out but jr um happened to uh, make mention of that i don't know if that was done on purpose um to further the story i'm, I'm guessing it was or if this was jr just kind of like throwing this out there um kind of to save face a little bit for the finish who knows um we get missy hyatt backstage trying to get another word with ricky steamboat as he walks out of the dressing room ready for this match uh, and then bischoff and shivani are at the Podium previewing the United States Championship match, um, which, like I said, I've been enjoying these little back and forths with them, uh, going back and recapping what just took place or previewing the next match. Add some more importance, more feel, you know, a different feel to the the presentation. Um, as we get Ravishing Recruit taking on Ricky the Dragon Steamboat United States Championship. Um, Crowd was really all over Rick Rude. Uh, he tried several times to do his usual pre-match. What I'd like to have right now is for all you fat, out of shape, Milwaukee sweat hogs, keep the noise down while I take my robe off and show you what a real sexy man is all about. He had trouble doing a lot of that because the crowd was just all over him. I'm, I'm just full of impressions this week, aren't I? Um, this was a really good match between these two. This, dare I say, was better than their 1988 Royal Rumble match, which I enjoyed as a kid. I remember watching that match as a kid, and I was like, blown away um but this match was much better than that um it was a real good story that was told um rude being the traditional heel uh worked on steamboat with a series of power moves um even delivered a pile driver camel clutch uh sleeper holds for better portion of the match um Steamboat, you know, was always good at being the, 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 the baby face that was coming, you know, fighting from underneath. Um, he would eventually work on Rick Rude's arm uh, to counter all of Rude's uh, power moves uh, by nailing his arm into the ring post and continuing with several arm bars, arm drags, hammer locks, etc. Um, 
you know, some people might shit on this finish, but I mean, it, it, it makes sense considering the direction they were going with in the story. The finish would come when the ninja would come out and nail Steamboat in the back of the head with a telephone after he delivered a top rope chop while the referee was distracted, resulting in Rude picking up the cover and the victory at 20 minutes and two seconds. Um, yeah, I didn't mind this finish either. I really didn't. Um, I, I don't think it took away from the match either, and it really emphasized and, and built up, you know, the momentum that the Dangerous Alliance was having over the, the, the top names in WCW. So I didn't have a problem with it whatsoever, and it gives an opportunity to continue this story between Rick Rude and Ricky Steamboat, which they would at um, the, the Beach Blast when they had that 30-minute Ironman match, Beach Blast 92, early, later that year. So that's something you should check out too as well. Like I said, a lot of underrated stuff took place in WCW in 1992 that I don't think people really talk about enough. Um, I just enjoy, I remember as a kid just enjoying all this stuff when I was younger and even now watching it back, I, there's some, there's some shitty stuff, but there's also some really good stuff too that, that, that I think gets overlooked because of the reputation that WCW had as a whole. Um, you know, the, there was speculation at the end of this match that Paul Lee was the ninja using the phone, um, which kind of added further issues between Steamboat and the Dangerous Alliance, but mainly Rick Rude. Um, we get to uh, Tony Schiavone and Bischoff. They recap what just happened. They, you know, talk about the finish, and, uh, you know, they speculate Paul Lee as well. Um, you know, being the ninja Shivani, he wasn't so sure. But um, we would find out uh, soon enough as Missy Hyatt would try to get a word with Rick Rude, and she opens the door to his dressing room to find Paulie dressed in the ninja outfit. And the rest of the Dangerous Alliance scurries to the door to shut the door and lock it to make sure she, there's no more footage of Paulie. Um, I mean, it's not like we couldn't tell who it was, but, you know, this is 1992, um, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of glad they didn't drag this out for very long. Um, and we get Jim Ross and uh, Jesse the Body Ventura previewing the main event as it's coming up next. Sting versus Lex Luger for the WCW World Heavyweight Championship. Um, Sting will get a special entrance um, rising up from a podium um, and then down a, a flight of stairs um, with some pyrotechnics, uh, which I thought was okay for 1992. Um, crowd was no doubt solidly behind Sting. Um, Luger as the champ would get the standard entrance, probably because he was leaving. Um, and little known fact here, Luger's contract um, was nearing its end because WCW had used up all the contracted dates that he um, that, that, that he had agreed to. So he was the world champion, but he wasn't on TV for the better part of almost two months until this point when he had to defend the title against Sting. So, um, yeah, this was, this was interesting because, um, Luger, um, you know, was the world champion and he was put in a situation to be the world champion earlier in 1991 because Flair was leaving or Flair had quit and he took the belt with him. Um, so Luger was just starting to gain some traction as the champion with Harley Race in his corner as the manager. Um, yeah, this match, it was solid as a main event. It wasn't anything to write home about. It wasn't special. Um, you know, the, I felt like just by watching this, the crowd obviously were behind Sting and they would boo Luger, but I felt like 
if they tagged Luger with Sting, they would have cheered Luger just as much as they would have booed him. It's like they didn't really have a reason to hate Luger, but they just hated him because he was facing Sting, you know? And um, and because Harley, maybe Harley Race was his manager. Um, I felt like Luger was just hated by default. So, um, you know, this match, like I said, nothing really special um both guys show off their best stuff early on uh we get a stinger splash from sting very early um luger would you know counter with his clothes lines and his power slams his, his signature power moves that he's known for um here was something interesting sting briefly put lex luger in his own torture rack which looking back on it in hindsight now you know talk about you know you know insult to injury out the door he's he's getting ready to leave he's going to go work for the competition and 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 you want you know your your top guy to put him in his own finisher i mean jesus i mean nowadays you could see that all the time but back in 1992 that was that was unheard of um i mean even though sting didn't have him up there for very long it was still it was still interesting to see um for 1992 standards um Eventually, Lex would gain the advantage with a little bit of help from Harley Race as the distraction on the outside, but that didn't really last very long. Um, as Sting really would get on, the, go on the attack on Luger. Um, so we get some some near fall attempts by Sting and uh, a slight attempt at the Scorpion Deathlock, but Luger would uh, manage to get out of that. Um, you know, from looking back and watching it, I didn't remember this match being so one-sided as a kid. The the perception I had as a, as a youngster when I watched this match on that Sting VHS I was telling you about earlier was that, you know, Sting was out for redemption. Sting was out to get the title he never lost, and he was going to face his old friend Lex Luger, and he was battling from underneath to 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 beat the champion and when i watched it now it just felt like sting dominated so much of this match um clearly the aggressor and the clear-cut favorite um luger when he would get the advantage it didn't really last very long um and uh you know it definitely showed because this match only went 13 minutes and two seconds as the finish came when sting nailed luger with a top rope cross body for the win um like I said, not as exciting as I remember watching it back years ago. Um, as a kid, the win felt like a big deal, but watching it now, it didn't really seem to be much. Uh, this would have been a good TV main event for like a, a Saturday night or like a, um, a WCW main event, but you know, for or even a Clash of Champions. But for a pay per view, this didn't really live up to the the, the main event. Um, we would get Jim Ross and Jesse Ventura recapping the match and uh, discussing who may be in line for Sting's title as we see Sting celebrate the championship win um, as we as we roll credits to end uh, WCW uh, Super Brawl 2. Um, overall, when it comes to this blind date, I would definitely go out with this. I would definitely date WCW Super Brawl 2 again. I thought this was a fun show. Um, more positive than negative. Uh, another successful blind date. You know, I've had some, some, some stinkers, okay, since I've started this concept, but I've also had some good ones. And we're on two in a row here with some of these gems from WCW in the early 1990s. And uh, that about does it for this Leap Day bonus show covering WCW Super Brawl 2. Thank you all so very much for uh, hitting that download button here on this. Uh, this leap day, February the 29th, 2020. I know that uh, AEW's got a pay-per-view coming up later this evening, Revolution. Looking forward to checking that out. Uh, Jericho and Moxley for the AEW title. Cody and MJF. Should be some fun matches. Um, 
And that's another reason why I wanted to do cover this Super Brawl show because Super Brawl was up until this evening with the AEW show. Super Brawl was the only pro wrestling pay per view to take place on a leap day. There had been other pro wrestling shows that took place on the, the the 29th of February, but this would be the only paper wrestling pay per view that took place on a leap day. So I thought that was kind of cool, kind of interesting, because uh, we only get a leap day once every four years, and uh, why not take advantage of it with this blind date diary covering WCW Super Brawl two, and uh, next week as. We'll be, we don't have any bonus shows, but we're going to be really kicking things into high gear with WrestleMania season as Chris Donovan's going to join me next Wednesday. We're going to discuss the, we're going to bring you the Mount Rushmore of WrestleMania main events. Chris has got his list. I got my four um, and we're going to go back and forth and see where we stand when it comes to the best, the greatest main events in WrestleMania history. And I'm not talking about the headline matches or the matches because nowadays with WrestleMania, there's about seven or eight matches on the, on the 21 match card that could be the main event i'm talking about the last match the one that closes the show the one that that ends it all that's the main event to me that's always been the main event to me that always will be the main event to me and so we're going to give you our mount rushmore covering the greatest wrestlemania main events in history i'm looking forward to that with chris he's uh he's a, he's a wrestling historian like myself and so uh i'm, I'm kind of interested to see what kind of list he has uh you know when it comes to the main events in wrestlemania history so be on the lookout for that next week following week i'll give you guys a little bit of a schedule rundown following week we're going to be bringing you trading places austin versus hogan the one that got away normally with the trading places concept i like to take an event or a match that had already taken place and play a little role reversal if you will this time i'm going to play a little role reversal with a match that almost happened twice at wrestlemania stone cold steve austin hulk hogan could have taken place at wrestlemania 18 it could have taken place at wrestlemania 19 i'm going to give you all the possibilities the background leading into both of those possible scenarios on that trading places edition austin versus hogan the one that got away the following week we're going to be doing a, uh, a, a we're going to be doing a, a wrestlemania classic um watch party what's that match going to be well we don't know we're, we're, we're gonna we're, we're still trying to figure that all out so we're gonna watch a classic match from wrestlemania history maybe more than just one classic match from wrestlemania history and then we're gonna do the day five fanny pack wrestlemania edition the following week as we're gonna be bringing you five random wrestlemania topics to discuss on that on that particular date excuse me i just totally lost my train of thought there i apologize and then the go home edition before wrestlemania 36 we're gonna watch what many say is the worst wrestlemania of all time and it took place from my hometown of hartford connecticut that's right wrestlemania 11 headlined by lawrence taylor and bam bam bigelow Shawn michaels and diesel we saw uh, yokozuna return undertaker and king kong bundy um Jonathan Taylor, Thomas, Pamela Anderson, Jenny McCarthy, Nicholas Turturro, Salt and Peppa. Um, they were all there in Hartford, Connecticut for WrestleMania 11, 25 years ago. We're going to watch that from start to finish on the WWE Network. So uh, join us for that. And uh, that's our schedule. That is our schedule as we head into WrestleMania. 
and we got some great shows planned for you so be on the lookout for that we also got some bonus content we're probably gonna be throwing your way on the retro mania pro wrestling podcast network i've talked to kobe a little bit we're gonna be doing some wrestlemania related themes um if, if you're if you're in the wrestlemania spirit and you want to uh want to relive some nostalgia there's a top 10 wrestlemania countdown from last year that kobe and i did um as we headed into wrestlemania uh 35 where kobe gave his top 10 wrestlemanias of all time i gave my top 10 wrestlemanias of all time and we we compared and contrasted and we we we've we had a good old time so if you're a big wrestlemania nostalgic buff go on over there check it out top 10 wrestlemania countdown over in the retromania pro wrestling podcast network and that about does it i think it's time that we put this show down for the three count this leap day bonus show down for the three count and we will see you all next week